0: All right, well, thank you guys for joining us here on the Opening the Box of Knowledge. Uh, again, I'm Chakya Ish, Richard Peterson, uh, co-host Kachung, if you want to introduce yourself. And I'm Kachung,
1: Thank you so much for being a part of this. We're really excited for this conversation.
2: Ah, goodness, and thank you for everyone
1: listening, for, uh, for listening in.
0: Yeah, so we're excited to have a two uh folks with us today and i'll have them introduce themselves ellen and connor but this is kind of a unique thing uh you know you guys are s- skiers and i i haven't actually met indigenous skiers who do that as a as a thing so yeah welcome to the podcast and go ahead and introduce yourselves
2: my goodness sheesh yeah my name is Ellen Bradley, cocking. She, I am Tlingit through my dad. So I'm a child of clean A.D. from Angoon. Um, I grew up in the Seattle area, mostly north of Seattle, um, and have been skiing since I was about four years old. I am also a scientist, but I'm making my way a little bit into this being a professional skier and I'm incredibly passionate about getting our native youth the same access that everyone else has to our lands
3: Greetings, relatives. Greet you with a good hand and a good heart. Uh, My name is Connor Ryan. I'm Hukpapa Lakota. Uh, I come from Heska, or as it's known in English, uh, the Rocky Mountains of, of Colorado. And uh, yeah, I'm a common man, uh, and have the privilege to be be a professional skier uh, by trade, and and really my passion within the sport is is also to to share this access and this connection to the land that I get to have through sport uh, w- with other Indigenous people, and especially these these next generations.
0: That's awesome. So, what brought you to to Klinkitaani? You're now to Sankihiti Juno what what's going on
2: yeah so right now we're trying to help build a bit more of a movement around community uh native community skiing in juneau so what brought us here today actually brought us here about a year ago in january when we are working on a cleanest line piece which is patagonia's blog about my return to the homelands to ski for the first time I've spent a lot more time in the summers in Ketchikan because my mom happened to go to high school there. So we still have a lot of family friends there, but hadn't ever skied on my traditional homelands. And since I skied since I was four, that was my connection to the land in the Salish Sea area. And it's always been this beautiful way. I feel like I can move my body with the relatives in the winter in a time when um, things are dark and hard for our people sometimes, especially when you don't have a ton of community around and so we came up and we started to tell this story and we started to uh, try to think of what it is to be a Clinket person coming home to ski in a place that is so extensively romanticized in the ski industry and in the lower 48. And how do you do that? How do you come home in a good way? And and how do you live with reciprocity? And the thing that we kept noticing when we were up here is we were asking everyone who was Tlingit and his skis or Haida or whoever else was Alaska native in the area. And it was really hard to find folks. We found a couple. Um, we found an incredible Lutik, uh, snowboarder, Jesse. Um, but it was really hard to find other Clinkit skiers and snowboarders. And so while we were up here, we happened to run in slash meet with Kachan over here and kind of just got our brains turning on, on, why that is that our people don't have the same access or aren't on the mountain in the same capacity as other folks are. And then how do we change that? And kind of ultimately brought us up here for this trip where we're trying to build this movement. We hosted this event last Friday, just trying to get a bunch of people in a room together to talk about what resources already exist to get our people out on the mountains. What resources are we missing and therefore need to build um, and also just kind of connecting people together to try to build this community. And so we're doing that. We're helping out with the Douglas Indian Associations uh, program that they started last year and trying to help them build it out and build more resources for it since they already have a program that exists. So we're trying to tap in with that. And we also happen to be working on a film. So that's kind of what brought us back up here. So we made the long journey and drove my car up and are renting a place here so we can put some more time in and. And I don't know about Connor, but I think we're really excited to be here, even skiing in the rain today.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for me, as a professional skier, like I've always seen these these projections, really, uh, of what the ski industry portrays Alaska to be. Um, and it's all these these stories about, oh, it's so far away, <laughs> and it's out beyond where there's people, and blah blah blah. Um, <laughs> Full of Eskimos and polar bears. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Um, And so I came up here and really the thing that struck me right away is just like what it's like to be in Juneau and see just such a strong, thriving indigenous community. Um, And it's everywhere you go. And that to me was really refreshing. I'm an urban native from Denver and our representation within our city is not, not the same thing. There's a lot of Lakotas you come to a powwow like you'll find the right people we're there but the presence the art the culture everything about this place and i said like i think alaska is really much more about the people um than anything else and so that's what's kept me so interested in 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 telling stories here and making Mm. connections with folks well
1: in this i mean this conversation with you with you guys is is really about you all right and and your practice and what you all do but like you coming on to you're on and thinking on and skiing for the first time. I, I want to hear your thoughts. Cause I, I, you know, Eagle crest, this ain't about an Eagle crest, but, but I, yeah. I coming here from, um, you know, I'm, I skied from a young age. Um, I think the first time on skis was age two, uh, with my dad bringing me and introducing me to skiing. But like, I, I had no idea that this, this, this place, this mountain was, was, was here really. Like I, I didn't really know about it. You know, I'm I'm from, I'm from up North and, but coming here, I was like, wow, what a, what a beautiful place. What were your thoughts that coming here and skiing in an Eagle Crest for the first time? And then you, and you beyond Eagle Crest, you've been on other mountains that don't have lifts up.
2: Yeah. So coming here for the first time was a bit of an emotional journey for me. Um, That first trip we did was actually my first trip to Juneau in general. Um, So it felt like coming home. My grandma spent a lot of her life in Juneau. Um, A ton of my family members have. And so there was that element of it, of Mm -hmm. knowing that there's this cultural history that I come from of like my own ancestors being in these spaces. But I think that was especially true when we were skiing and we were at the top of Eagle Crest and about to step out of the backcountry gates to head down, because that's what Kachan was saying about skiing on different uh, mountains without lifts, is we do a lot of backcountry skiing around here, so a lot of human-powered skiing. And so one of our first days stepping out of the gates of the backcountry's Eagle Crest, we just so happened to run into President of sea Alaska Anthony and his family, who were taking an intro to backcountry course at the time. Mm. And the person they were taking the course from is our good friend, Kanan Bossler, who was acting as our guide while we were here and showing us around to some of the zones. He's also an avalanche forecaster, so he has a really good sense of the snowpack and how to keep us safe. Yeah, But it was one of those moments that clearly was just meant to be where as we were about to step out for the first time, we run into Anthony and Kanan had given him a little bit of background on who I was. Um, and my grandmother was the youngest sibling of Walter Soboloff. And so at the time, Canaan had told them that, and we oh, wow. run into them. And Anthony Good. immediately looks at me and goes, Your great uncle married us. Wow. And it was just this immediate moment of connection of like, okay, like this is where I come from. These are like, there are roots here. My ancestors have been here. My ancestors have touched these people. And I think, like, even more than that was what I expected when I came home. It just felt so surreal in that moment. And then we continued on with our day, skiing out into the backcountry, looking at these beautiful views mm. across the water from the top of Eagle Crest. And we spent a long time out there. And as time went on, my mood definitely changed in a way that was really different than the group we were with. Mm. Everyone else was having this moment of like, you're skiing in Alaska, the lighting is perfect, the snow is really good, we're getting great shots and filming. Whereas I was having this moment of like processing. Wow. So much of that intergenerational trauma. Yeah. And like so strongly in that moment to just like watch one of the most beautiful sunsets I've ever seen. And we have lots of photos and film of it that I'd love to share with you all sometime because they're beautiful. And in those photos, if you were able to see behind my goggles, like I'm bawling my (laughs) eyes out, like Mm. not having a good time because I'm just sitting there processing Mm. all this and knowing like where that land is and what it has seen since colonization and since contact with so many different groups that have come through this area and like, I just feel like I felt all of that, that the land had seen all of that experienced and it was showing that to me in that moment. And it was really hard because we were filming. And so of course I had like the pressures of of Connor and Isaiah and our other good friend, Matt being like, Oh, we want to get this shot. The sunset's going off. It's perfect. Like this is going to be the coolest shot of you skiing down. And I was just like, I don't want to do this. Like I just want to sit here and process this and look at this. And so It was an incredibly emotional moment, and it was really hard for me at the time to communicate to both Connor and Isaiah and our other friend what was going on to me. And it took us coming down from the mountain and a few days later going and walking in the forest while it was snowing, which is the place that I've always felt my most comfortable, surrounded by trees, surrounded by relatives, that I was able to more fully articulate how in that moment I wasn't crying or bawling my eyes out or being emotional in this ski setting because I was tired or I was hungry or I didn't want to be there, but it was because I was having this moment with the land that I just needed to process and just needed to be there and witness and experience this. And I think that was an incredibly hard moment, but I think having that moment for me has made this return trip a lot more easier to kind of really start developing those relationships with these places that we're skiing and to be able to go past like witnessing what this land has seen and to move past it right now how do we heal together
1: wow beautiful
2: yeah. i had no idea
1: <laughs> that's amazing
0: i i think that's so incredible and thank you for sharing that with us you know the intergenerational trauma the healing you know it, it's every day work and i know that when our people are reconnected to our culture you know, it can have those cathartic moments. I, I'm really kind of blown away right now because, you know, I don't want to sound like an asshole. I've never heard it in the context of like skiing. You know, it's always the language or it's the art or, you know, fishing, hunting, whatever. What a epiphany I just had listening to you. Like being reconnected to the homelands is anything and everything that that's just incredible thank you for sharing
1: that that no it's for me like i've thought of because i've been in the mountains right and like as a skier but the way that i've connected with mountains as an indigenous person is more like berry picking you know like that but that so that's i i get what you're saying richard but because you don't you 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 don't default to like oh thinking about skiing as like this connection to your indigenous homelands because it's skiing has really has been that outside um activity um and a privileged activity because of the costs of like of of what it takes to be able to be you know be able to go onto a mountain especially with when you're when you're talking about resorts and mountain lifts and things like that it Absolutely. is not something that's that's accessible to to. I mean, I'm not even talking about indigenous people. Just re- really, just everybody. Yeah. Um. You know, like just going up. We we went skiing today together. Yeah. And and I was I was getting the, my ski uh, or, or or my uh, taking care of the the, the uh, equipment for my daughter. Right. We're renting because she's just learning. Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I think today for me it was like, oh, we're gonna get her her own gear. Like to, but. Behind me, directly behind me, I could hear this conversation happening between a mother and a son, and they were talking about eighty dollars mm-hmm. and eighty dollars, right, for a day of doing leisure, like something just kind of just going on the mountain and, and having some fun. That's that's something really daunting, right? Yeah. That's it's just something that just does for a lot of people. It just wow, that that just cannot happen. Totally. So like. So this connection of like skiing and connection to the land, like that's, it's it seems like a foreign thing to us indigenous people, right? Mm-hmm. Like the way that we have connection to the mountains is that going up and berry picking, because my family and I have gone up to Eagle Crest, berry picking. Yeah. Underneath the, the lifts. Totally. And, and we really like could have been those families that never, ever been on those lifts. Mm-hmm. But I have such a passion for it that mm-hmm. I put that that extra effort to be able to bring that to my kids and yeah. the love of it that I have.
2: Absolutely. And that's what my dad did for my brother and I, um, my dad was the youngest of seven and all of his siblings were born in Alaska, but my grandma moved our family down to Seattle in the early sixties. So my dad was the only one of his siblings born in Seattle and they grew up and had a very hard life below the poverty line in Seattle. My grandma was struggling as a single mother. And it wasn't until I think maybe high school, maybe around college age that my dad first got into skiing. But I think the second he did being so removed and disconnected from his culture physically because of this choice my grandmother made to try to better their lives. Like for him, I think that is why he became so passionate about it. And I think that's why it became this this decision that he and my mom made for my brother and I, that this is what he was going to do because Mm -hmm. it was what he could do. It was the access that he could give us. And it was an absolute privilege to be able to grow up skiing. It definitely was less expensive when I was a kid than it is now, but it was still unaccessible at Mm -hmm. that time. And skiing is incredibly expensive, has so many barriers from transportation to the cost of a lift pass to cost of gear to whatever it is. And that it makes so much sense why so many Indigenous people have not had access to these spaces for so long. I mean, it was intentional, right? It wasn't that we were um, marginalized. It wasn't that th- these spaces we just didn't exist in them. Like we were intentionally removed from these spaces and yes. intentionally excluded from skiing. And so that's why, because it has been something that has been really important in my life, in my like one of my strongest connection to my indigeneity. It's why I'm trying to break down those barriers to access for our indigenous youth so that they can continue to have those connections to the land, especially in the places where they may already be berry picking in the summer. I mean, how important is it to have connection to the land in all of its seasons? And I think it makes you a better skier to know what that landscape looks like when there isn't snow on Mm. it. And I think it makes you a better berry picker to know what that landscape is, looks like when snow is on it.
1: Yeah.
2: Right. And I think historically, you can look at like what skiing is and think it's this white sport. It's not meant for indigenous people. Like we shouldn't be paying all this money to be spending time on the land. And I 100% agree with all that. But then you look at what the roots of skiing is and skiing comes out of indigenous people. Skiing is a form of traditional ecological knowledge, especially backcountry skiing. But even in the resort, like knowing how to move across these landscapes and different kinds of weather, And knowing how to relate to those landscapes throughout those weathers, like that's traditional ecological knowledge. Mm. And that's like the traditional ecological knowledge we're able to develop now, especially as climate change is affecting these snowpacks, to be able to move across these places and backcountry ski, and to know how the layers of the snow are bonding together, can tell us more about whether or not an avalanche is going to come down to Juneau. Mm -hmm. Right? And that's what we did the other day is we went out with the avalanche forecasters um, to one of the slide paths that hits would hit the road. And we went and dug a snow pit and we and looked at like the vid- yeah, I saw you guys video. D- yeah. Yeah. So we went and dug a snow pit and we looked at how the layers of the snow are bonded together to know where there would be those unstable sections where the snow could like come down and avalanche. And I think those things can happen because of traditional ecological knowledge, because indigenous people developed skiing. Like the first skis you see had seal skins as the skins. Or horse which, skins, or horse skins, and now we backcountry ski and we put skins was yeah. synthetic skins on the bottom of our skis, which makes them stick to the snow, so you can move uphill still with skis on your feet. Mm. And yet, the original ones were legitimately skis. Extra skis. Yeah, I just think that's so
3: important. What you said there is like for for the Altai people of Mongolia, indigenous people there, the skis that they have predate our history of the wheel. So humans were moving on skis before the wheel existed yeah, anyway. Makes sense, yeah. Right, because <laughs> they had a long way to walk across Mongolia in the snow. <laughs> they came up with the skis, you know, for the Sami people of, you know, northern Europe. Like, yeah,
1: the Sami, yeah, yeah.
3: So yeah, it, it comes from all over, and I think it's about learning to, like, how do we literally, like, decolonize the ski itself? How do we indigenize the ski Which again? was an
1: indigenous...
2: Take exactly. like, exactly. yeah, it was back.
1: Yeah. Like... <laughs> yes. Ski back. Land back. <laughs> Ski back. Land back. Mountain back.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, I, I love it. it. It's kind of, you know, reclaiming space that's been taken. I, I think that's really powerful. I'm really intrigued right now listening to Ellen talk, you know, mixing your science background in an indigenous woman hearing all that just thrilled me you know the traditional ecological knowledge is something we've been preaching for a long time western science is finally starting to you know come around and realize um that our knowledge you know is real and it exists and you know they they've kind of romanticized indigenous history in a way to kind of put us down i think and you know it's one of the things i talk about a lot is our people didn't survive these lands. They thrived in these lands. And it was that indigenous knowledge, um, what you were just talking about. And, uh, wow, that's powerful. I love it so much. One, I think, Connor, you'd mentioned that you're, uh, you know, a native professional skier. I- I've never actually heard of one before. I mean, is are there a lot of Are there a lot? Is, is is that something I'm just missing the boat on? No, there's not a whole lot of us
3: for sure. Um, you know, like for me, I, I know of like one indigenous professional skier who came before me. There's a guy named Ross Anderson who actually set the speed record for an American uh on skis. Um and he's from New Mexico. Um, there's actually a number of tribally owned ski resorts in New Mexico, so like a really strong heritage of Uh, indigenous skiing in New Mexico. And then there's Lonnie Kalk, who's a friend of mine, who's um, indigenous professional climber and professional snowboarder. Um, And then Spencer O'Brien, who's Haida, uh, who's a professional snowboarder. But there's, there's not a whole lot of us. And, you know, often we're also not necessarily rewarded traditionally in these spaces of the sport for celebrating our heritage. Um, You know, we're kind of just leaning into a time where you are allowed to go outside the norms of what's set out for you in the ski industry. And for me, that means coming to Alaska and not jumping on a helicopter, flying <laughs> over all the indigenous communities <laughs> and going straight to the top of the mountain to just be with the snow. Right? Which you That's, could
1: do, right? Like I
3: could very easily do that. There's people who've offered me those kind of trips. They'll pay me to yeah. go do that. But to me, as an indigenous person, even though I'm not indigenous to here, I have obligations to community, whether it's my community or it's your community that comes first, asking permission, both of the people and of the landscape for me is the highest priority. And, you know, that, that means that my professional ski career looks a little bit different. Uh, I do a lot of climbing the mountain myself when I could just get on a helicopter or a chairlift. But I think. The mountain is a relative that that I want to spend time for. I want to, you know, ask permission. I want to sing songs to it before I drop in and do something where where I'm risking my life just to have fun. Um, and, and I think with that, then comes this opportunity to be able to use my platform as an athlete for the people. Um, and, and to me, it's a lot more exciting to ski something that that's scary and thrilling and testing my abilities. Uh, if I know that the outcome is that if I do it well, more native kids get to ski. Yeah. There's no there's no motivator quite like that, and so for me that that's you know what keeps pushing me along as as an athlete, and you know allows me to put up with you know I, as being the only native person in the space of professional skiing. It's much like being the only native person in any other space. You know you're gonna have a lot of uncomfortable situations. You got to deal mm. with. A lot of bullshit. You got to deal with a lot of racism. Um, and a lot of people thinking you're the problem for talking about the racism that's been sliding for right. a long time. The in- so,
1: yeah, the in- inequity. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm really excited about you talking, saying you have this, you have a relationship with with skiing in the mountains in a different way. Because being a professional skier, you do, you would have that 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 resources to be able to take that helicopter up there, but no, but and singing to the mountain. Can you tell a little bit about the film that you I mean your your film, the spirits? Yeah, and like, yeah. Sure.
3: So I put out a film um, that came out last year in January uh, called Spirit of the Peaks, and it basically follows my journey of really figuring out how to get right with the spirits of the mountains where, where I live and where I ski. Um, and you know, I'm Lakota, so I'm indigenous to the plains, uh, that were underneath those same mountains. Uh, and so I have some moments for sure when I'm up there where I'm like, we got songs for Hills. We don't have songs for mountains quite like this. You know, our traditional ecological knowledge doesn't necessarily include how to deal with avalanches, you know? Mm. And so, uh, I went on a bit of a journey after, You know, I was doing a lot of skiing and filming and I would always do a land acknowledgement. And when I would bring that up, it was always in Colorado Ute, maybe Arapaho and Cheyenne as well, maybe Navajo and Pueblo, but always Ute Mm. in the mountains of Colorado. And so I made a film kind of following my journey of, you know, getting to make relations with Ute people at the same time that I made an effort to make relations with their mountains. Um, and, you know, one of the mountain ranges that we're skiing right next to there in the wilderness area in Colorado is called the Weminuche, mm. which is named after a band of Ute people, the mountain Ute people. Um, but now, you know, they're pushed out of there and there's ski areas and ski towns and yeah. you don't see a lot of Ute people. Gentrification. Absolutely. to the To the fullest extent. And so for me, you know, it really started this process and that film begins and my process began. With this place of asking permission, um, and so in Lakota, you know, one of our traditional practices is to just send our voice um, out to the directions, and so that's how that film opens up, and that's how a lot of my ski adventures start—is just simply by saying, like, to the west, I'm here. I'm headed in your direction. To the north, I'm here. You know, and just going through those directions, going through the progression. Of, of really just acknowledging, like these aren't empty spaces, right? The mountains aren't an empty place. Yeah, this is a place that not only is teeming with life those those berries dormant, waiting to bloom again, yeah. right? But also all that water, mm-hmm. and, and for us in Colorado, water's Water's scarce, man. You know, there's no mistake in why. It's not scarce
1: here in in (laughs) June. No.
3: (laughs) We're always walking around. Water is life. (laughs) Maniwi choni. Like, because we got to keep that top of mind. And so when you're up in the snowpack in the winter, you're with all the snow that's going to become the water that is the life for everything below you. And I think that's a really, really sacred space to get to tap into of being like, it's just me on a mountain with with miles and miles and deep snow and all that is going to melt and it's going to go be the molecules inside the cells of every living being underneath me. And, and to just get a moment to be there with that energy and sing it a thank you song, sing it a, just just an, an acknowledgement. You know, there's a there's a thing I read recently that was talking about in Lakota, like our word for pray that someone else made that translation really to pray. We didn't necessarily had a word to pray. Yeah. We had a it's word the same in, in, in Inuit. to acknowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there's something so much deeper there that, you know, people always want to make native spirituality this like mystical thing. Yeah. And often I think it's really scientific to just acknowledge like I'm a biological process who isn't alive without water. And I just want to acknowledge that that's true. To me, in my experience of of what it means to be on the land and have a spiritual experience like that is what it's about, about that humbling sense of interconnectedness. And so skiing is a way to share that and a way to to make sure that other people realize that as they ski, whether they're aware of it or not, they're part of it, too. And they might want to start acknowledging and they might want to start asking permission because of that.
1: Well, this next question over to Richard. Uh, I want to know, snowboarder or skier? Are you? <laughs> uh, give it, give it, give it up. Because I know you've been on the mountain.
0: I think I, my body type was built to be a tumbler, and you know, <laughs> I like, tumble down. Um, no, <laughs> no. You know it's funny because I've never felt a connection to skiing. Right? Like it, it just. You talk about sports, I think basketball in our communities mm-hmm. and, you know, things like that. So I, this whole conversation's kind of blowing my mind on a lot of levels. Um, but I, I, I'm loving this. I'm loving that. You know, I, I listen to Connor talk and I'm like, oh, so his skiing is an acknowledgement, you know, yeah. that, that that's powerful stuff. But I have a question that's been burning in my head for about the last six, seven minutes. So when you talk about trying to get our youth or, you know, our people involved, what are the barriers? What is keeping our people? I mean, in my mind, I just think it's expensive. Right. But, you know, and I also, you know, I don't want to offend people, but I'll just be, you know, it would be, I have to be me. It just seems like a white supporter
1: throw it out there
3: yeah yeah i, I think I'll, I'll go quick and then i'll pass it over to ellen uh just I, I think one of the biggest things to remember is that all of the wealth that is there to to be made by other people through skiing all of the wealth that they use to to build the you know i come from colorado where there's aspen and vale and you know huge towering condo complexes million each just for the weekend kind of crazy wealth that is coming out of skiing and creates that barrier and creates that image. And I think it's important to remember that that wealth is extracted from the land. The same way that trees are cut, that you know an ore is mined and pulled out of the land, well, they're pulling joy out of the land. They're Mm. pulling people's experience Mm. out of the land and they're selling it back to us. And I think that's why it's more important than ever for us to have a presence in these spaces, because that joy that's on the land that they're selling to other people, that joy should be inherently ours. And no one should be should be paying to experience the joy of a snowy tree, of a snowy hill, you know, of, of water and life on the land. And so I think that with all of that in mind, it's really important for us to be back in these spaces and to say like, indigenous joy on the land that that belongs to us
2: yeah and I think you're right to say that it looks it's a white space like skiing absolutely is a white space when I was growing up the only indigenous people I skied with were my brother and my dad I didn't know anyone else everyone else I skied with was white and it wasn't until I met Connor and I got a little bit more involved with the outdoor industry and kind of started to see this movement of other indigenous outdoor athletes that I really thought more and hard about why that was that I was the only one, or the only one I knew, or in these spaces that were white. And I think inherently, the way that the industry has been developed is one hundred percent a white space. And any of the efforts that they're putting in right now to try to D I D I E D E I whatever G-D, whatever they want to call spaces, yeah. like they're all efforts to uphold these spaces as white spaces and just diversify them. And there hasn't been this really solid effort that we've seen within the ski industry about how do we, instead of just focusing on how to expand who is involved in skiing, how do we start the conversations of what is skiing? Where is it happening? Why is it happening? And how do we get permission from the people whose land skiing is happening on to have it happen? Mm, mm. And I think to get to the point where we can have these really comprehensive conversations, especially in Alaska, where so much of the wealth of the ski industry extracts money out of Alaska by sending athletes up here, as we're talking about throwing them on helicopters, having no experience with the local community, and leaving and extracting physically these films and these photos with no level of reciprocity. Like There's no one that I've seen in the industry that is having those conversations except for us. And I want to get to a point where we can really in-depth have these comprehensive conversations about this, And I don't think that will happen until our people have access and until our youth can see what skiing is and get a better sense of the industry, see themselves involved in it, see how their culture is a part of it and can be brought into these spaces that we can develop this next generation of skiers who are indigenous, who can be like, not what y'all are doing in this industry is not okay. And we're going to reframe it and we're going to create a new narrative of what skiing is and how to be a respectful person in these spaces, how to live with reciprocity in these spaces and how to not continue on with skiing as this extractive industry, as it is so much similar to how a logging industry is or a mining industry is.
1: Yeah. And, 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 and when we're talking about skiing, we were talking about also snowboarding. I mean, there's, it's, it's, it, it it encompasses so many different things. Right. Yeah, but, but it being from Alaska and Alaska as this, like, you know, the, the idea of a pristine Northern like lands, these mountains that you can helicopter up and like this, you know, this beautiful, right. Yeah. The, the whole imagery, like you would think that you would have more, you know, folks, especially indigenous, you know, people, that would be a part of this, right? Like, and, and be the, you know, the top, the, 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 yeah. the you know, they think, yeah, because we come from this place. So you're thinking, you know, like, oh my God, the beautiful mountains, all the snow. Yeah. But it's not. And I'm, 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 what I'm talking about is like, I'm, I'm going to refer to like Kalan Chaitl,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. who
1: is a Yupik um, uh, woman who, i mean got to that ultimate level when you think about the that, yeah the yeah. highest level of, of 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 visibility in in the sport right which is the olympics mm-hmm. and and Callen being a Yupik girl but she you know grew up skiing in the shoots of avalanche mountains in in the backcountry of dillingham yeah. and i've been there and i just like now there, I'm like, oh my god! Now I can see why this 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 at that time that young young lady became such an amazing snowboarder yeah. because I know the mountains. the <laughs> you know this is that's we're getting to closer to my homelands, right? Yeah. In the Yupik country, and and I'm just like, wow! Just envisioning her being towed up and you know, snowing, you know, snow machining up, and just dropping down these these avalanche shoots mm-hmm. in the middle of you know that's that's it's just it's stunning to me
2: mm-hmm.
1: and and so like but you would think that it would be like you would have more Cal and tight looks right yeah
2: but then you follow her story yes. and you see why she left yeah and that touches on the barriers of of being the only one being the only indigenous person in a space and yeah. then being in a space which is so similar to most sports in the United States as a woman in these competitive spaces she faced so much Threat of assault. Wow. As so many women did on this, the US snowboard team. And so there's like a whole story to follow of that of barriers and to just have to face that barrier in general as a woman, but then to also be indigenous and to be the only woman in the room who is likely not white. Mm -hmm. It's just like there's so many barriers from the top to the expenses that it costs to take your kid and get rental skis today. Yeah.
0: But she cut
1: her teeth in avalanche shoots in, yeah. in, in the middle of the TikTok so mountains.
2: Very badass. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Super incredible. Badass. And we should theoretically, like, I, I think about that often. I'm also a trail runner um, and I'm Lakota. So mm. I'm always going oh, <laughs> to see myself in the, in the legacy of, of those runners that we've had, you yeah. know, and I think like we, we had Billy Mills yeah. as a Lakota, the only uh, American to ever win the gold medal yeah. in the 10,000 meters on the men's side. History. I think that's incredible. Right. We've got Jim Thorpe, who was like the athlete of all athletes, History. indigenous. I mean, yeah. Right. And so we know what like pedigree we come from, yeah. <laughs> yeah. lack of a, but we a, have, of a better right? word. Yeah. Right. And I think we we would be like I I'm a professional skier. I got my first pair of skis at age. 21, you know, I got to ski a bit on rentals as a kid from, from five to 10 years old, but like very quickly, my incentive to get better, um, I feel like was much larger because I wanted to be outside all the time for a different reason that no one else had. Right. And the same time I was getting into skiing was the same time I was starting to show up in my community to be Okay, let me do sweat lodge. You know, let me mm-hmm. come keep fire for the Sundance. Let me do something to support my community in this way. And at the same time, all that was informing me about what I was plugging into when I was out there, right? And so I think we, we should, for all these reasons, be these things. But what incentive is there, you know, for other people to take that, that bar down for us? It's not the same. And so we got to find that way within our communities to say, you know what, we know what we're made of. We know what you've told us yeah. this sport should be and who it should be for, and, and we know better. And I think, like, that's, that's the thing. It's like nobody at the end of the day is going to just, oh, you know, let us in. Uh, we got to find our way to, to assert ourselves in our spaces, uh, you know, in sport much the way that we would anywhere else.
1: Yeah. Beautiful.
0: You know, I was just asking, um, how do, how as a community do we do that? How do we start? I guess getting our folks interested in skiing. You said twenty one when you had your first pair of skis. Okay.
3: Yeah, it was the year I bought my first pair your, of skis, your own skis, my own skis, and my own ski pass. And so I skied from about age five to age ten. My dad would take me on the weekends, and then he had a he had like a construction job and. So his company went under and we, we never went skiing again, me and my dad. Um, and so it was something I had to choose directly to get involved in it. And I actually chose it like out of spite in a lot of ways. I, I drove past the ski area with my friend who's black and he's from Atlanta. And he was like, what is that? And I was like, Oh, well that's a ski hill. And he was like, that's crazy. Like they'd be so mad if you and I went up there, a black dude and a native dude. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, we're getting into skiing. <laughs> <laughs> That's the same thought I had because I'm black and native.
1: Like being on the mountain, I'm like, yeah, I'm definitely the only one. <laughs>
3: it's a good feeling. It'll be an even better feeling when you're out there and you're like, I'm definitely not the only one. Yeah, no, it is.
1: It's awesome. It's yeah. an awesome feeling. You know, being on, on the mountain today, I was just like, you know, seeing the diversity that's up there now, I feel like there might be there's 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 a change happening right, yeah, yeah, and so um, and I think it's the efforts of like of like what you guys are doing and bringing that to light, um, so it's like for me, I was like oh wow and 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 seeing my you know my 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 son's classmates up on the mountain like that is definitely something that I was not used to. Mm-hmm you know, as, as young, as we, you know, growing up, that was not the case, Mm -hmm. but we're definitely seeing a change. And the fact that you guys are really taking that and seeing it and, and, and and pushing it. So it'll, it'll, it'll make it even pushing the needle even more. Right. Yeah. Like that's just awesome.
2: Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot of different ways it starts. And I think it kind of has to build and move in all these different ways. I think one of them being representation mattering, I don't think that representation matters as much as we give so much credit to it, but I do think it matters. I think it's what comes after representation that matters the most. And by that, I mean, like, I think my existence in this space is important so that our youth can see, all right, here's a Tlingit woman and she is ripping down this mountain. And I could do that too, if I wanted. But I think if that's all that that I did, that that would not be enough, that I have to also help build these spaces beyond just me being involved. So I think it 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 happens by there being some of us that are professional skiers already. I think it happens by breaking down the barriers and increasing access to our youth so that they can see themselves in the sport from a really young age. And so that they aren't developing these notions that so many of us developed over time that they don't belong in these spaces, that if they are just in it from a young age, that they know that th- these are the spaces they belong in. And so I think it's programs like what DIA is doing, but their program right now is only reaching middle and high school students. And as we were at these event, there was so much demand for elementary school students. And so we looked at each other and we said, all right, how do we help elementary school students this year? I think it starts in those ways. But I think even beyond our youth, we need to develop programs for adults who want to try to get into this, to be able to try. We need to develop tracks Um, I hate to use the word pipeline because pipelines are really awful to our people, but we need to develop these like career pipelines so that our people could see themselves in these spaces so that our people could have jobs on the mountain on any scale of what that is throughout the spectrum from a lifty to working in the administration. And I think for me, that is kind of this ultimate goal of my involvement and hoping to build more community of skiing in Southeast and Juneau. And so that ultimately our people can be the people in the administration of a place like Eagle Crest and making the decisions about what Eagle Crest is, its future and what it's doing and what its programs are. Because I think who better to serve our community on the ski hill than our own people. And I think you already seen that as Connor was talking about earlier of some of these tribally owned ski areas in New Mexico, and they've been pretty successful. And it looks like the things they're doing are incredible for the community. And I think this distant future goal of mine is what does it look like when Tlingit and Haida or Alaska or some other native entity in Southeast owns Eagle Crest instead of the city. And what does that do for our people? And I think in order to get there, we just, we have to build community in the ways that we can and, and increase access for our people because if this institution is going to exist, and I do think that a ski area in a place like Juneau where there are a lot of avalanche paths is a really, really, really great way to get people exposed to skiing and to comfortability on skis. So that you can potentially step into the backcountry and be proficient in your skiing so that you're safe in the backcountry and have access to education to avalanche safety. But I think that if an institution like Eagle Crest is going to exist in this community, that they have a lot more that they could be doing for our native community. And I think we're happy to help them do that yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> well you you just made me really uncomfortable with how you crawled into my brain space there so <laughs> i love it you know there's only enough room for yeah. one in here
4: i feel like uh, uh i feel like i'm obligated to say a few things here cuz i worked up at eagle crest this is sam the sound man chiming in but uh yeah. Um, I worked at Eagle Crest as a lifty for a season, and I got to meet some some great uh amazing friends that were indigenous that were lifties um some have sadly passed away, but some are still my the two from but excuse me
1: the, the gentleman from King. yeah
4: we had a tag band Sydney working up there um we had my good yep. friend Ashton Kenny working up there, and a lot of great um indigenous friends that I've met working up there and um And then my funny story was when Carlos Boozer came up one day and hopped on the lift and (laughs) I was, I was loading the lift that day and I was like, I've never met this guy. I wonder if I'll know, know who he is. And yeah, you know who he is when he walks up there at seven foot something. And (laughs) I'm like, can you, can you even fit on this two chair, you know? And he just He's a snowboarder, and he just hopped right on the two-chair. And away he went. He's a good snowboarder, too. But uh, yeah, I just thought I should mention that. I've had a lot of fun. And I think Juno's been helping our people get jobs in that space, too.
3: Yeah. It's so awesome to see the potential there. I wrote an article a couple of years ago for the Cleanest Line, Patagonia's blog. Um, and <clears throat> it followed the story of a guy from my tribe who became a ski patroller in the course of just only three seasons of skiing. Um, And to me, I think that illustrates so well, like for him, he went through all these challenges in his life and his family. And, you know, I I think a lot of indigenous people relate to that. Like that's, we've all been there. Mm. Um, And the one, you know, thing he really had to come back to was culture and the land. Um, And shortly after that is when he got a job that finally wasn't, construction or something that was a pain in the butt where he was like, I'm on my homeland Mm. outside every day for work. And I think like, we can't overlook the power that that can have for the mental health of our communities. And, And I think that's, you know, it's not to bash, like there's so many tribes, my own tribe that has casinos and that's been this model for a long time. And it's like, OK, but like, what is your quality of life working inside of a casino versus what is your quality of life standing outside all day? And, and I think that that's something like as we move forward as indigenous communities, we we got to think about like, OK, like there's there's ways that we can improve access for our own people, um, improve access for other people to build healthy relationships with the landscape and also at the same time be be. Meeting these economic and mental health goals that that I know most every Indigenous community had.
0: Well, I mean, there's so much to unbox there. You know, I, I really agreed with what Ellen said about, you know, we got to take up the space, we got to be there, we have to be, you know, hell running these things, and, and I fully agree. Um, <clears throat> so. That's what we have to do. Um, I don't think there's a one answer fits all for everything. You know, you mentioned casinos, and well, I'm very interested in that. But <laughs> yeah. um, because we're going to build a casino right at Inglecrest. So, you know, but I also know I've had to wrestle with that myself as, you know, when I became president, Clinton Haida, I didn't personally believe in the idea of casinos. <laughs> Um, I've actually traveled Indian country and seen the positive they can do when run right, when um, they benefit their community. But I think if you bank on any one thing, it's going to fail your people. And we really need to, you know, I'm looking at every, every angle on how to enrich our people's way of life and to make sure that, you know, we're able to enhance and perpetuate our culture and you know to me culture heals that's the answer for everything but we have to give people the ability to make you know have employment income education you know it's not for me to tell people what success looks like but we have to give them the the means and the wherewithal to get to what they see as their success and mm-hmm. i'm man i, I never thought uh, much about skiing quite honestly until today and you guys have completely blown my mind about skiing and of course it's tied to our indigenous roots and everything so man i gonna cheese Shawa for what an amazing conversation
1: yes i'm gonna echo that as well and like me for me i skiing has been a huge part of my life and knowing that I'm going to be passing this on to my kiddos and all that and that love for it. And they've just, they have just really like just grabbed onto it, you know, all of them, every single one of my kids. And like in the work that you all are doing for it, like, and pushing that is, it's so inspirational. And um, um this, this conversation, even me as a, you know, thinking about how my relationship with skiing, I have learned so much from you guys t- today. And I just want to say for this for this amazing conversation. I hope we get a chance to have it again. Um let's, let's let's I mean we're we're working on this building this um community here in 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 uh and seeing where it goes. Um we had amazing turnout at our event um and it was way beyond my what I was hoping like and 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 the thank you so much for bringing these gifts bringing this passion this love um and and the support from being a professional skier and the backing that you have I mean you have all these layers of backing and and you're bringing it to our community And so it's, it's, it's amazing. And to have you guys here, Um, I can't wait to ski with you guys again.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I just want to say, like just big thank you to, to everybody involved. It's been, it's been amazing being here. I mean, you were one of the very first people who, welcomed us with open arms mm. and we're literally just sending you I an Instagram so message like, Hey, we don't know any other natives who ski, but, uh, can we meet up with you? Yeah. it
1: was videos of me skiing with my son. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Literally we just saw you on Instagram. Like, Oh, he skis. You know And I think? Like, <laughs> it's just been amazing the whole way, uh, just to be embraced by the community. And like, I, I think, yeah, there's a lot of magic to everybody who was able to come together and organize an event. Yeah. Uh, like we had the other night. But there's also so many magic in in how many Native families saw that flyer and said, you know what? This year, skiing and snowboarding, that's for us. Yes. And I, I just want to commend them and the whole, whole community as well.
2: Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. You were the first person that we <laughs> met up with. And I think that speaks to to how much we've been able to move the dial in this past year that we were able to put on that event. And co-emcee it, yeah. <laughs> Last minute, and yeah, our turnout was incredible. But it's if that's what we can do in one year, is put together this incredible event where a bunch of people show up, and we can get a ton more kids signed up. Then what can we do in ten years?
1: Oh my god, it's huge. It's We're going to come fun. out with some new—I mean, Olympic skiers, right? Snowboard, like snowboarders, snowboarders professional hope, skiers. Right? That this is their life. Lo- this is their life. This is their job. Right.
2: right. And as much as I love basketball, and I don't want to bash on it, I do think that. Skiing at least gets you outside in a way that basketball doesn't in the winter around mm-hmm. here. Yeah. And I think there's a place for both. I mean, there's an intern that SHI is hosting this year for a winter internship with the Avalanche Center. Um, she is a high school student. She's a basketball player, but she's also doing this internship where she's learning more on avalanche safety. And I think there's space for both of it in our communities. And I think the more time on the land lander people get in the winter, the better our mental health will be ultimately. Um And President Pearson, if you want to talk about that casino, we might have some ideas of ways <laughs> that we can engage more on this ski community, given that the casino would be really yeah, close to the ski. That would of be an
1: amazing relationship, right there,
3: right?
2: Casino,
1: yeah, casino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hey. oh, yeah. We're gonna toss it to you, Richard. Final words.
0: Well, you, you know, I, I find this really interesting parallel going on right now. You know. Uh, douglas city association putting together uh, initiatives around skiing you go to yakutat and they've got the, a really growing surf camp right so you know there's definitely those connections to sports that we don't necessarily automatically think of like basketball and and so yeah i think whatever we can do to support and grow that i i just want to see our people have opportunities you know and and that's what's bottom line for me how do, how do we make sure that they have the opportunity to be uh in everything anybody else can and and just living their best lives so uh ellen connor it's been a real honor kachung thank you for bringing these amazing people to us and thanks for helping us open the box of knowledge today i